welcome to the first episode of the Pharma Forum podcast for 2021. My name is Dominic Tyre, and I'm Pharma Forum's creative and editorial director. In this instalment, I spoke to Rebecca Martin, who's Senior Vice President of Reward and Inclusion at AstraZeneca. In an episode that was recorded in December 2020, we looked at how good pharma is at promoting diversity and what inclusion and diversity mean to her company. Picking up on the reward aspect of her title, we also talked about some of the right ways to say well done to employees, particularly in the current climate of COVID. You can find more details of this episode, including a download link for the podcast and information about other instalments in the series at pharmaforum.com forward slash podcast. The Pharma Forum podcast is also available on iTunes, Spotify, Acast, Stitcher and Podbean, where you can find and subscribe to it by searching for Pharma Forum. Rebecca, welcome to the Pharma Forum podcast. Um, I wonder if we can start with, uh, if I can ask you to give a quick introduction to yourself for the, to the, for the listeners. Absolutely. So nice to meet you. Uh, I'm Rebecca Martin. I'm Head of Reward and Inclusion at AstraZeneca. Um, A little bit about me. So I didn't start out in HR. I Actually, my first degree was in biochemistry. So I was a scientist by background. Uh, I then became a lawyer, uh, qualified as a specialist employment lawyer. And I came across to AstraZeneca nine years ago now. And I moved through a number of different roles in legal and took this role nearly three years ago. So it's quite quite an interesting, although perhaps a slightly unusual route to uh, to find yourself in in HR. If we look at uh, your, your your current um, job title and focus to begin with on the on the inclusion um, aspect of it, what does inclusion and diversity mean at AstraZeneca? Well, inclusion and diversity are really important to us at AstraZeneca, and there's a number of reasons for that. I mean, a critical one is that if you have diversity of thought in an organisation and the right environment where people can speak their minds and share different ideas, we can actually be more innovative, creative, we'll explore alternatives. And for a science-based company, you know, the the link between our performance as a team um, and diversity and inclusion is very strong. So that's the, the first reason. It's fundamentally, it's a driver of performance. It's also, though, something that makes us a great place to work. If you have an environment where people can feel comfortable and safe to be themselves and to value the difference that not only they bring, but the differences in their team members, that's a really great environment and one where we can each feel that we belong and we'll have a lot more fun along the way as well. And I suppose within that, it's it's so important, isn't it, for people to be able to see the change that they, that they want to be to being represented at, at different levels of a company. Uh, that's true. I mean, I think that diversity, we don't just think about it in the context of perhaps what's visible or what people might first think of in diversity. We do talk about diversity of thought because it's a combination of who you are, what you do, how you do it and who you do it with that actually really makes a difference to the way that we work together. And so, um, yes, I think having visible representation of people who are visibly different is absolutely important. I'm not undermining that. But I think thinking about it in its broadest sense gives us an opportunity to reflect on the fact that we're all unique in some way. You know, what what's our um, superpower? What's the magic that we're bringing to the team? And then we can make the most of those strengths and uh, compensate for for perhaps areas where we we aren't so strong with other team members. And so in in terms of um, that diversity, whether that's visible representation or or diversity of thought, how does AstraZeneca seek to encourage diversity amongst its workforce? 
Well, there's a number of ways. So uh, one thing that I really should mention is that Pascal, our CEO, he personally spends a lot of time on this topic. He knows the link between innovation and inclusion and diversity, and he's chair of our Inclusion and Diversity Council. So I think that tone from the top is, um, is really important. Uh, but the other ways in which we do it is we have global targets. Specifically, we've been tracking what proportion of our senior management positions are occupied by women. That's now up at 47%. So we're doing really well. We're not quite at 50% yet, but we're getting there. We also have global targets on what is the representation at our um, senior levels as in just below our senior executive team of individuals who are from our emerging markets in Japan. And that's at 20% at the moment. So we've also seen growth in that space. So we have specific targets around diversity on a global basis. And then country by country, we're now exploring, are there um, other areas where we can set ourselves ambition? Because we've specifically looked at this in the context of racial equity this year, been a dialogue that's encompassed the whole world, even though it was triggered by events that started in the US. And what we've been reflecting on there is that an ethnic minority in one country is an ethnic majority in another country. So really, you need to take a country specific approach. But we have this week um, initiated um, some further activity to encourage people to share with us aspects of their diversity in our global HR, so in our uh, operating system, which we have Workday. I don't know whether that makes any sense to, to the listeners, but so that people will be sharing aspects of their diversity data with us. The reason for that is it helps us to understand where we are today, set a baseline and set some ambition around where we want to be tomorrow and in the future. So that's that's another area. And then it's also something that we call out in values and behaviours. So we have five behaviours, five values um, and 10 supporting behaviours. And we make it really explicit, our commitment to inclusion and diversity there. And um, one of the other things that I would call out is the importance of employee resource groups. So we know that um, these are a fantastic opportunity for people to come together, often virtually, but sometimes uh, also in person um, where they have something in common um, that makes them different um, and they can be very important and very helpful to us as an organisation by shining a spotlight on things that from an organisational perspective we might have missed and I can give you an example of one of those which is um, an employee resource group around neurodiversity. So neurodiverse individuals having um, you know, various different conditions that they can come together and, and help to shape what we do to make sure that they are not disadvantaged in the workforce and in fact appreciated specifically for the, the different way that their, their brains work, the different way that they think. So you can see there how valuable that could be as we look to harness uh, our, our creativity together. And in terms of the um, aspect that the aspects of diversity that you're you're encouraging people to to share with with HR, uh, what sort of things have you received, or what sort of aspects would you might you expect to receive to be able to to build into your plans from from that initiative? So we've taken, um, I mean, it's a it's a global initiative, but we've taken a country by country approach for the reasons that I was mentioning a moment ago. So some of the things that we have right the way around the world would be um, what somebody's sex is, what age they are. That's pretty standard for any company to have that information on, on its workforce. What we're now gathering is things like the country of origin, the ethnicity of an individual, 
um, any disabilities that they um, may may have, their um, sexual orientation, their gender identity. You know, all of these things are areas where we have an opportunity to learn more. Over time, we may end up moving into even more kind of uh, innovative spaces here, you know, looking at introversion versus extroversion, things like that. I think that this is uh, a really quite an untapped area that we can go quite deep. And it certainly sounds like that uh, there's quite a lot going on at AstraZeneca in terms of promoting uh, in inclusivity, in terms of both the work that you've done to date and the work that is, is still on, ongoing. But if we look to, to the future, uh, what would you like to see put in place to further encourage inclusion and diversity within the company? So one of the things that I think is really important is that what I've reflected to you about Pascal's understanding and the understanding that's shared by many people at AstraZeneca between the link of, you know, the business reason for why this is so important and not just the obvious reason that it's the right thing to do. Because we're a global organisation, we've got 76,000 people, we're in all of the different countries around the world. Actually, understanding what we mean by the word inclusion, for example, is something where, you know, some parts of our organisation are still um, getting their heads around that. It's quite um, a term which has been used often in the US, it's, um, you know, increasingly in other countries, but in some parts of the world, it doesn't make so much sense. It's not as obvious what we mean by it. So I still think that there is a, a way to go in helping people to understand what we mean by it and also why it's important. And so I think that the, this will be an area that we'll continue to focus on. Our ambition is we pick everybody up from their starting point and we move them further along to the place where this is just, you know, it's it's in our DNA. It's the way that we work together and it's a, a natural part of uh, the way that we interact and collaborate. There's a lot of great stuff happening across the organisation, but there is, you know, there's always more to do. And if we pull back from there and look at the wider pharmaceutical and life sciences sector, I'm not going to ask you to name names, of course, but are we looking at, at the broader environment? How, how good do you think um, pharma, uh, the pharmaceutical industry in general is at uh, promoting diversity and, and inclusion? I mean, I think it's pretty good. And I think that that's because of this link to innovation that I've mentioned. But one of the thing, one of the ways to get a sense of how well an organisation is doing around inclusion and diversity is you ask people as part of your um, employee engagement survey. So we do that. We ask how whether employees feel that enough effort is made to get the best of diverse opinions and thinking from the team. And now in pharma, the, that's about 66% respond to that um, positively. And at AstraZeneca, I'm really proud. We, we're we at 84%. So, you know, we've still got that 16% to go after. But you can see that um, there is a lot happening in the pharma industry. It's clear for any company that's interested in innovation, that inclusion and diversity is important. Making it a reality, though, it is it, it can be difficult. And so that's, I think, where you can see that that gap. So I wanted to talk to you now about um, your, your job title, which is not a, is not a normal topic of conversation on, on the podcast or for, for the interviews I, I, I conduct. But of course, uh, as senior vice president of reward and, and inclusion at AstraZeneca, you've got two potentially quite separate parts to, to your job title. Why um, has the company combined both the reward and the inclusion aspects um, of, of that title into a single role? It is an interesting combination and it's actually quite special. I'm not sure any other organisations are doing it in this way, but the reason that we've done it, it comes down to fundamentally motivation. 
So if you think about traditional reward, these are the things that we put in place to motivate people to deliver great performance and to give them a positive experience of working in a company and in an organisation and also to connect them to the organisation's purpose. And inclusion is also a really key driver of um, what motivates people. It's about having that sense of belonging, feeling connected to the purpose, feeling appreciated for the difference you bring. And whatever the difference is that you make, that that's appropriately and equitably rewarded. So that's where you see this, these, this intersection between reward and inclusion actually makes a lot of sense. It's a fascinating job, I've got to say. And in terms of uh, connecting people to the organisation, so you, clearly as a company, you have a number of different uh, approaches to these. But in particular, can you tell me a bit about your progressive people strategies, so how they work and how the workforce benefits? One of the things that we've been bringing this year, we've historically, we've had a performance management approach, which is fairly traditional. And what we have been doing this year is evolving away from that traditional approach to something which um, is is more modern. So we're eliminating performance ratings, no labels, um, no forced distribution in relation to reward, and really importantly, a much more significant emphasis on ongoing coaching and learning happening throughout the year. So our coaches are managers, uh, our managers are coaches, um, I should say, our managers are coaches of um, their team members, but also individual team members and peers um, should be providing one another with not just feedback that looks back at what's happened and is a look in the rearview mirror, but we're calling it feed forward. So it's about tipping people into the future and thinking about things that they can, um, they have great strengths that they can continue or things that they might want to consider for the future as a different way of doing things. So this in itself is, is progressive for us. Uh, how are you able to perhaps encourage employees to better collaborate with each other? Clearly mindful of that uh, in particular because of all the, the huge changes we're all, we've all uh, had to undergo during the, the COVID pandemic. Yeah, I mean, collaboration is uh, obviously critical because none of us can achieve what we do as a company if we're operating independently and silos um, are just something that we absolutely must break down where they exist because it's this cross um, functional collaboration where you really sort of get the most interesting ideas and great work happening. But one of the ways in which we encourage collaboration would be um, through our recognition programme. So we have a global recognition platform. It's really super easy to use. It's designed to deliver in the moment recognition to people, it's sort of in the flow of work. And that is because it's global and it's across all of our um, business areas, it enables people outside their immediate team to say thank you and well done. So I think that is um, really helpful to encouraging collaboration. On the inclusion and diversity side of things, something else that we've introduced this year is a, a tool to support um, meeting norms. We call it meeting of minds, but it's essentially uh, people in a meeting would be allocated different roles and it's to give permission if it were needed and license to make sure that we get the best thinking out onto the table that people can can challenge the status quo they can play devil's advocate they can make sure that the meetings stay on track and this is something which I think is really helping with the um, collaboration so it's it, it's not a command and control environment at AstraZeneca. A really interesting sounding tool and it's so so easy in meetings for certain types of people to perhaps dominate or not have their voices heard in, in, in different settings. 
Absolutely. I mean, I think culturally as well, it, it um, can make a big difference to the way that people behave in meetings. There are some some people will be very comfortable um, with silence um, and they'll wait to be asked to make a contribution. Other people will be very uncomfortable with silence and will look to fill the gaps. And I think that recognising that people have different uh, personality types, different cultural norms, but we're a global company and we need to um, ensure that we're having this environment where we are getting the best out into, into the open so that we can explore these ideas. So one of the things that we've um, we've done relatively recently, actually, but it's been enormous uptake across the company, is we have our um, online platform for collaboration called Workplace. But it's a vehicle through which we've been able to do some significant crowdsourcing activities. So we've done some in the context of COVID. So what does the new normal look like? What do, what have we learned from the COVID-19 experience and how might we take the best of those learnings and be even more successful in the future? But we also did it when we shaped our um, strategy for 2025. And, you know, usually strategies are something which boards were, uh, and senior executive teams will perhaps come up with in a closed room. But we have really been practicing uh, what we talk about here in terms of inclusion and diversity by engaging the whole workforce in the conversation, which I think is quite special. What the new normal looks like to, to different people and some of the learnings. Are you, are you able to share a little bit more information with, with listeners about that? So this this isn't necessarily my area of expertise, so I have to be careful about going off piece. But I think that there there have been some really um, interesting things in terms of the way that we have um, been working, which we can absolutely bring forward into the future in a in a balanced way. So um, if we think about the way that we've been interacting with healthcare professionals, for example, that has led to more digital and online or virtual interactions than in person because we haven't been able to meet in person. Similarly, the same is true inside the company. There have been far more virtual interactions than face-to-face -face ones. Now, face-to-face -face interactions have a very special place because I still don't think that we're at the point where we would want to be, you know, not, not being able to meet people in person. I don't think that there is something around us needing to have those social and almost un the unplanned connections that come when you've got groups of people who are able to interact with one another in a freeform way in the same place of work. That's going to be continue to be important for us in the future so that we get this, this mixing pot of all these different ideas. But what has happened is that we've seen groups of people that perhaps wouldn't have interacted are getting that opportunity to interact because it's kind of been democratised. It's not about where you are. It's, it's being able to make sure that we have those moments where people can come together. And one of the things that we did, and it was just last week, and I was so proud of it, was um, we had our Power of Diversity Week where we celebrated inclusion and diversity across the company. An example there is, you know, what we had previously done with our events around inclusion and diversity, we would gather people together at their local place of work and we would have events in person. This year, because we knew we weren't going to be able to do that, we it, it prompted us to think differently and to make even more connections around the world. So our field force, for example, um, were able to participate in 
conversations, we had the Japan team talking to the US team about their experience of operating in a COVID environment. We have members of the field force from right the way around the world connecting on that, which I think was fabulous. And perhaps it wouldn't have happened unless we'd been forced to think a little bit differently because of the circumstances we're all working in. And, and so useful when you have different uh, areas of the, world, of the world being at different stages of the pandemic, um, hopefully a, a good opportunity for um, experiences to be, be learned from. Absolutely. And that was something that we did really quite quickly, actually. You know, the world watched as China experienced its first wave of COVID-19. They were the first, sort of on the, on the front line first. Um, and that the China team has been absolutely um, critical in helping to share learnings, how to work through this experience, how to ensure patients can still get access to medicines. And, you know, all countries are different. They have different healthcare systems and there are different phases of um, dealing with the pandemic. But the opportunity to learn, you know, how we can still ensure we have employees who are uh, able to work and, I mean, that by crikey, they really have been able to deliver this year. We can learn from one another and um, and help one another through this. So I'd like to finish up this episode of, of the podcast by looking a little bit more detail at the reward aspect of, of your, your job title. You've mentioned, of course, the global recognition platform. But what, what are the other ways you, you find to, to be able to say well done to employees? And has that thinking had to be adjusted again during during the COVID pandemic? The importance of saying well done is not to be underestimated, but being specific. So the the positive, this was really good. And then the critical bit is because and explaining so that people know, you know, exactly what it was that was that was great. We can do that through the recognition platform. We can also do it, of course, in person. And when I say in person, I don't necessarily mean physically in person, but through the interactions that we are able to have those kinds of moments make people feel good but also make them appreciate feel appreciated and understand what they should try and um, you know continue to do in future uh, we also look through our um our bonus schemes and sales incentive schemes and all the rest of it to make sure that we really are calling out uh, what's great about what people are doing and i mentioned the removal of performance ratings but the other thing that we have here in this space is focusing on the contribution that an individual has made. So it's not just what they do, it's also how they do it. You know, are they demonstrating our shared values and behaviours and the, the so what of what they do, which is kind of the impact that they're having. So making sure that we are looking for people to appreciate the difference that they make and they're appropriately rewarded for it. So all of those things together, I think, give us plenty of um, plenty of ways in which we can make sure that the special individuals that work at AstraZeneca can really feel valued for for what for the difference that they're making to to the organisation for the benefit of patients. Well, Rebecca, thank you very much for joining me on the Farm Forum podcast. Thank you. Really nice to meet you. And that concludes episode 28 of the Pharma Forum podcast and my discussion with AstraZeneca's Rebecca Martin. You can find more details of this episode, including a download link for the podcast and information about other instalments in the series at pharmaforum.com forward slash podcast. The Pharma Forum podcast is also available on iTunes, Spotify, Acast, Stitcher and Podbean, where you can find 
and subscribe to it by searching for Pharma Forum. And don't forget to visit our website to sign up for daily or weekly email pharmaceutical news and analysis bulletins. And follow us on Twitter, where we are at Pharma Forum.